So the people of Earth would spread their evil to our home. We are ready for human perfidy this time. This time, it is the humans who shall suffer. Bridge to all decks. Welcome aboard a brand new episode of Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Nance. And I am not a science fiction Steve Morris. I'm a magic Steve Morris because this is the magics of Megas 2. Oh, you devil you just putting that into the title there. You know, you're so clever, Steve Morris. <laughs> just, you've got this magic about you that just can only be found in the center of the galaxy. So yes, uh, Enterprises, we are covering the magics of Megas 2. And before I ask you, Steve, what you thought during your rewatch, just the overall broad, I, I think I told you before that this was the first episode of the animated series that I remember seeing. Now, I don't have that vivid exactly what I was doing when I watched Mirror Mirror for the first time for the original series kind of moment with the Magics of Magus 2. But what I recall about uh, Magics of Magus 2 is just seeing the Enterprise going through the center of the galaxy with all the stuff going on and this guy who looked like the devil, but he wasn't the devil, or maybe he was. And, you know, a lot of joking around between Spock and McCoy. So in other words, especially during the rewatch, I was like, wow, this there's a lot going on here. Once again, this feels like a vintage episode of Star Trek. What about you? What did you think? Uh, I think this is a vintage bad episode of Star Trek. I think this is really? the worst episode we've watched so far I, I, in the animated series by far. I think it makes very little sense. It's very bizarre. Yeah, I am not a fan. See, now here I thought you would have been like, there's a lot of ideas here. There's a, this is, this is a, 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 I would say, especially during the rewatch, I was thinking, you know, if this were a live action episode, I could see this landing somewhere in the first half of the third season. But it sounds like you would put it somewhere in the second half of the third no, season. No, I put it in the second half of the third season. <laughs> well, well um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm shocked and stunned on the verge of being outraged that you did not like an episode that was full of ideas, maybe ideas that were not seen through. You'll have to tell me as we go along, which I know you will. Well, I would say that bringing up a thing, I guess, is an idea, but not doing anything with it or not knowing what to do with it is, you know, like I, I, I can list a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> but it doesn't make it an argument. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's sort of, yeah, yes, you're right. There are a lot of ideas here that are not seen through in a way that makes sense to me. Well, you know, once again, I am grading this on a curve and an extra special curve because I have a sentimental attachment to the sure. episode because it's the first. But as with every episode of animated series that we've done so far, I felt like, well, I'm going to feel like a dummy saying this at this point, but I think this is my favorite episode so far. And I'll tell you wow. why, Steve. I will tell you why. First of all, as with the others, it does pack a lot into the episode. I think it's in terms of those ideas and in terms of the sharp turn it takes right at the end of Act 2, I think it's an ambitious episode. I think it's very provocative, especially for a an animated show that that you know young kids would find on a Saturday morning. And I think uh, it has a great message not to judge someone by their appearance, to judge them by their actions. And it is 
sort of ties into some of the ideals that Gene Kuhn tapped into when he did Devil in the Dark, Devil, Devil in the Dark, and Metamorphosis. And uh, of course, there are obvious similarities to Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which is not a, not a good comparison. But ultimately, uh, uh, I enjoyed it very much. And I think that uh, we'll get into it, but there is a sign of the compassion that we loved about Kirk, especially in the first mm-hmm. season. In the end, yeah. In the yeah. end, sure. And uh, it's, it's, it, it is provocative. Like It really did make me think. And uh, I like that the amb- the ending was ambiguous about whether or not Lucian is is indeed the devil or just looks like it. Anyway, so uh, the episode is written by Larry Brody. It is his uh, first time writing for Star Trek. The episode, of course, was directed by Hal Sutherland, who directed all the episodes of the third season. The Magics of Magus 2, Steve, has a production order number of 22009, which in effect makes it the ninth episode of the animated series to be produced. But since it aired on October 27th, 1973, it became the 87th episode of Star Trek to air, the eighth episode of the animated series. Now, Larry Brody had gone on to write for various television shows like The Six Million Dollar Man, Barnaby Jones, Hawaii Five-O, the Streets of San Francisco, The Fall Guy. He was the creator of a show called Super Force, and he returned to Star Trek for live action, this time for Voyager for the episode Tattoo. Now, Larry Brody originally pitched a story idea for the third season of the original series in which the Enterprise finds God in the center of the galaxy, but NBC rejected that. Later, Dorothy Fontana, who was the story editor and associate producer of the animated series, invited uh, Larry Brody to write for the animated series. And he went into filmation while Dorothy and Gene Roddenberry were there to pitch three ideas. Of course, given that Gene Roddenberry did his own attempt at the Enterprise meeting God with his failed script, The God Thing, he loved the idea. Uh, Brody recalled Roddenberry saying, quote, I always wanted to write about the Enterprise meeting God, but NBC's primetime bosses always shot it down. Let's see if we can slip it past the daytime boys this time. Alas, NBC did not approve the script about the Enterprise meeting God, even if it was an animated form, but they did approve a story about the Enterprise meeting the devil. As Larry Brody said, I watched the original show as a fan and then as someone who was working and wanted to see how they did science fiction. I know all these characters. I'm hearing them in my mind, and I know exactly what they would say. I wrote this in maybe three or four days. It was short. It was fun. I was told by everyone how much Gene loved it, and Dorothy loved it. He submitted his outline on April 5th, 1973. His final draft was submitted May 17th, and it was revised on May 25th, where it was heavily and uh, we'll get to this at the end when we do our wrap-up. It was heavily rewritten by Gene Roddenberry, just like the good old days of season one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what's interesting is that when Larry uh, went into filmation, uh, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and the cast members were there. So he was there when the actors recorded the dialogue. So no mispronunciations this time. Well, that's good. Um, we were in the midst of some pretty exciting things going on in the world 
uh, on our last episode. And those, of course, are continuing. But before we get back to wars and scandals and things like that, on October 21st, the A's defeated the Mets to win game seven and win the World Series. Way to go. Um, <laughs> oh, as we mentioned last week, a whole bunch of countries were uh, banning all oil sales to the U.S. And we can add Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and Dubai to that list. You got to think like the major oil producers in the world are suddenly saying they're not going to send any oil to the U.S. This is a this alone is scary. Yeah. In other yeah, in other sports news, Fred Dreyer of the L.A. Rams became the first NFL player to score two safeties in a single game in a win against the Green Bay Packers. <clears throat> I think that is a pretty amazing statistic. That's a pretty amazing statistic. Yes. <laughs> On October twenty second. A ceasefire is declared between Egypt and Israel, which begins at 6.50 in the evening and is broken within a couple hours. Mm. Syria and Israel continue to be fighting in the north. On October 23rd, Nixon agrees to hand over the tapes uh, for the Watergate tapes, and that temporarily stopped an impeachment. As soon as he said, I'm not going to hand over the tapes, impeachment proceedings began in the House, and this stopped them. Uh, on October 24th, we mentioned this last time, Nixon vetoed the War Powers Act. What I find interesting about this is that in our last episode, we were talking about that it had been since World War II since we actually declared war. And this is an attempt to, to force Congress to actually take the power over war, which is what they're supposed to have in the Constitution. And that uh, veto is going to be overturned uh, by Congress. Uh, on October 24th, Kojak premiered. Uh, loves you, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, How and long then was that show on? Where did you? Were you a fan of Kojak? Oh, totally. But my dad liked all the cop shows. So we, at my family, we watched Beretta. We watched Starsky and Hutch. We watched Kojak. Like all those seventies cop shows. Hawaii Five O. Um, so and this and and again, just you think about how scary things are in the world at this moment. While he's dealing with possible impeachment on October twenty fifth, Nixon after midnight orders a worldwide military alert because they have heard that the Soviet Union plans to intervene in the war in the Middle East. Oh, and wow. this, and so he calls up uh, Brezhnev and says, let's work with the UN. We don't want this to escalate. You know, this is, we, we want to keep this small. And they also put pressure on both Egypt and Israel who do agree to the UN resolution. And they're going to have a peacekeeping force on their border. And the deal is, that peacekeeping force will not include any Soviet or American troops. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, on October 27th, they officially announced their ceasefire. And one other thing that happens during this week is yep. Alcatraz opened to the public as a tourist attraction. Interesting. <laughs> Did they find, uh, what's his name? Um, Al Capone. <laughs> they, I'm sure they went looking for him. No, he got released and died. He died. I, I remember when we did the Untouchables. He died at like 47 or something from. Oh, he was young. Complications of syphilis, I believe. Mm -hmm, that's right. Yeah. Um, and that is all the news I have. Uh, when Magic's of Megas Two aired, should we get into the show? Let's get into the show. I have a feeling this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if we've ever been quite as far apart as I think we were no. on this episode. I mean, there are um, episodes you liked more than me, or I liked more than you. Yeah. Like, never one where I loved it and like you didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we start off uh, with a log, and we hear that. For years, scientists have theorized that if our galaxy was created from a great explosion, then the center of the galaxy might still be creating new matter. 
and we're heading off to the center of the galaxy to investigate. What I find weird, by the way, is I guess they're referencing the Big Bang Theory, but the Big Bang Theory is not the galaxy. It's the universe. It's the universe, right. So, so the explosion this- at the center of the galaxy doesn't really make sense. It would have no. to be an explosion at the center of the universe. And Steve, Steve, I I I feel like I have a confession and I I it it, it pains me because you know, with all the headcanon we've been doing on Enterprise Incidents, yes. linking everything, you know, and especially my theory with the Stardates. Yeah, okay? I was wondering about this one. Oh, yeah. So the other episodes of the animated series up to this point have, have had a five as the first number of the Stardate, right. which put them in the fifth year of the five-year mission. And and because it the, because of the actual number, I was able to figure out, like, where – where this lake lands in terms of like the voyages of the original series. And with this Stardy, Stardy 1254.4. 1254.4 takes place even before where no man has gone before, where mm. the uniforms were different. Uh, it wasn't even Dr. McCoy yet. It was Dr. Piper. Uh, Gary Mitchell was on the Enterprise. Sulu was a, was a mathematician. So there goes my theory, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> well, no, no. I think can't we just say that they messed up the star date? <laughs> yeah, we can. yes, <laughs> we absolutely can. Uh, your theory, just because one episode of the animated series threw out a number that doesn't make any sense. Well, you know what? Larry Brody was a newcomer to Star Trek, so maybe he just didn't, uh, you know, follow the rules like we did. <laughs> Um, so we're heading off to investigate and everything is gold and swirling. And there are a lot of special effects, let's say, in terms of entering into the center of the galaxy. And we also hear that they might encounter forces and phenomena beyond their understanding. Now, here's here's what I love about this episode already. And again, while I remember the episode when I was young, certainly haven't watched it in a very, very long time, like any of the other episodes of the animated show. And I immediately was struck by I, I I did think about what you pointed out how uh, the the uh, center of the galaxy would not be maybe the center of the galaxy would be creating new matter but in terms sure. of the Big Bang you know it's it, they're two different things but what I love about it already is that they are exploring they are on their mission to explore this is this is actual science that they're talking about and when Spock makes the comment that we might also encounter forces and phenomenon beyond our understanding. It made me think of that line from The Naked Time where Spock says, space still contains infinite unknowns. Instruments will register only what they are designed to register. So so again, you know, I, I'm connecting the dots here and this, this feels like Star Trek. It, what, what's the difference to me is that the, the, the line from Naked Time is a deep line. That's a line that makes me think about something, you know, because I go, oh, I never thought about the fact that my instruments can only me- measure what they're designed to measure, that they don't, you know, it's, it goes back to the, you know, <laughs> I think it's uh, Rumsfeld who said, you know, there are known knowns and known unknowns. Yeah. And there are unknown knowns. And, and even though he's not my favorite guy, like, I think that's what, what Spock is talking about. We can't, it, we can't know what we don't know that we don't know. Right. Um, whereas this line is just something might happen. It's not a deep line, you know. It's it's in the same area, but it doesn't in make the same sense. area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't have the same. It's not on the same level. But there's that grading on the curve thing. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and by the way, I was thinking this. So this is my other science thing is I went, we were just at the far reaches of the galaxy, right? Um, yep. Depending on whether or not we believe the star dates. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, how far is it from the far reaches of the galaxy to the center of the galaxy? And it is 58,000 light years. And and this is it's not a big deal, but like this is also where like well how fast is warp speed? I mean that seems like it would take a long time to get from the edge to the middle. Um, <laughs> anyway, we head in. There's like fireworks going on. The ship is shaking. Reverse power. Hold opposition. Deflector screens on. And it's interesting too where you get into things that are kind of in the animation graphical, which is like we just have these weird colored rings that are hitting the Enterprise. And I can't, how do you feel about them? I can't decide if I think this is a kind of a cool design element or if it just looks. Yeah. You know, I thought about how in, in the original show, when they, when they pushed the boundaries with the original effects, like they did in the immunity syndrome and in the Tholian web, how they would have pulled this off. And, you know, in the third season, when the enterprise went beyond the galactic barrier in, is there in truth, no beauty, you know, that was a really cool effect. So, I think that in terms of this being a live action episode, this could have been one where the visual effects actually were pretty decent, especially if it was actually done in the third season when you had someone like Mike Miner working on uh, on the Tholian web. But I, I still think it looks cool. It was definitely something I remembered about watching Magics back in the early 70s when I first found it. But the other thing that I that I did like about this is that when they're on the bridge and the uh, Enterprise is, is shaking from the turbulence, McCoy gets on the bridge and he goes, What in the name of sanity is going on? I felt like, well, he's just as irascible as he always sure. was. And uh, it does, if that doesn't make you feel like Star Trek, I don't know what does. That thing's pulling us in. I'm up to warp six. Scanners indicated some form of matter energy whirlwind, Captain. So it's like, you know, there, there's a giant twister that's trying to suck them in. Right. And then Sulu says, we're up to warp seven, eight. And then he counts up to warp nine and warp 10. This doesn't. So here's my question. And it never occurred to me until this moment. What is warp? Is it a speed is, or is it a power level? So like if I say, if I'm in a ship and I say a head full, well, that doesn't say how fast I'm going. That says how much of the engines I'm using. Right. So, right. Whereas. So is warp speed a power level or is it an actual miles per hour speed? Well, I always thought it was an actual level of speed. And the reason I felt that way is because of the photo novels. Uh -huh. I think, I, and, and I think maybe they were probably taking a creative liberty because they were able to do that, you know, with the sort of a narration that, that told the story and filled in the gaps. But in, I believe it was the photo novel for the deadly years when the enterprise is getting out of the neutral zone and Kirk returns to his normal age. And he says, you know, head, uh, get us out of here. Warp factor nine. And in the photo novel, it said that warp factor nine was whatever nine times nine times nine is, is the, is like that number, uh, times the speed of light. So whatever mm. warp it is, like warp two is two times two is four times two is eight. So warp two is eight times the speed of light. So warp three is three times three is nine not times three is 27 times the speed of light. So gotcha. that's how I always equated. That, 
So first of all, that's really interesting. And I would be very curious to calculate 58,000 light years based on that equation to go, how long would it take you to get from the outer reaches of the galaxy to the center of the galaxy for the earlier? So maybe we'll do that math on the side at some point. But (laughs) this is why this moment doesn't make any sense to me, because if they're not moving at all, and Sulu's going, we're up to warp seven, we're up to warp eight, nine, 10. What he's saying is the engines are going as much power as they have, but they're not going anywhere because right. they're stuck. So this they're stuck. So, so okay, all right. I see what you're saying. And by the it's, way, it's a minor, nine, it's a minor nit, nitpick, but it is a nitpick. Warp nine. I just I just calculated on my phone is 729 times the speed of light. So if the Enterprise is going at warp nine, but they're not going anywhere, the power of the engines is that they should be traveling 729 times the speed of light, but they're just not because they're stuck in place. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like, you know, if you're driving, uh, remember in Ferris Bueller when they're trying to turn yes. back the, the odometer and, One you know. One of the most tragic moments in the history of film. Oh my gosh. <laughs> His dad is going to kill him. Um, but that's that's how I always sort of equated warp was a speed. And even though they're stuck, but this, the engines are going at, at warp nine, so they're they're, they're supposed to be traveling 729 times the speed of light, but they're just not going anywhere. Captain, I don't know how much more emergency power we can take before we start to break up. And then everyone ends up on the floor and they're having trouble moving. And I don't quite understand. Um, and Sulu is now unconscious and Kirk is trying to get there. And finally, Spock's the only one who can make it to the helm to shoot the Enterprise into this crazy whirlwind. I don't understand why they were all on the ground. Do you? Well, why people are well whenever out. there was turbulence on the bridge, you know, with the shaking, remember in, uh, I believe it was uh, that which survives when the Enterprise is thrown across the galaxy mm-hmm. and there's all this turbulence on the bridge. And when it's over, everyone is, is on the floor. Remember, and Spock helps them get up and Spock hits his head on the, the armchair of the command chair. So- I, I always figured that it was just the turbulence and that's okay. why they were knocked out of their seats. It seems weird that it, it seems, it seems a little odd because it seems like Sulu is actually passed out, you know? So I uh, don't that's quite just under- the animation. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Spock has found this whole experience fascinating. And McCoy says, at least I have the good sense to be scared, Jim. And then the enterprise disappears and we're in this strange orange orange spiral and these things are floating by. And I guess this is us transitioning to this other magical universe. Exactly. Yeah. I- I'm curious, at what point did you start to not like the episode? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> For now, you liked it. <laughs> For now, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, let's see where this is going to go. This is okay. interesting. All right. Um, Uh, And we hear that the rules of space-time don't work here. The chronometers have stopped. The engines are fading out. It sounds like really bad things are happening because... Apparently, the natural laws of our universe don't operate here. So then the ship's life support starts to go out. McCoy looks like he's going to pass out. Kirk is struggling. And then, just as everyone is passing out because the Enterprise has basically died... There appears this crazy looking guy who looks kind of like the devil, kind of like Pan. And I think mostly the drawing, the animation of him is often really weak. The anatomy is just terrible. It yeah, looks I like agree. it looks like a, he doesn't look right. Yeah, it's everything. It's, it looks like a kid drew it, frankly. And this is Lucian. 
This is Lucian. And guess who voiced him? James doing again. James doing again. I actually thought he did a good job. <laughs> I think this one, well, it's like if we took out all the totally average voices that he did and just kept the ones where the voices are pretty good, it wouldn't bug me as much, you know, but it's because he does. Point, yeah. Up to this point, I feel like the magics of Megas 2, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of excitement. They're they're exploring the unknown and taking advantage of the animation to do it in a way that, I mean, they, I think they actually could have done this with the effects of the original series, but maybe not. And now you've got a race against time because all the systems on the Enterprise are failing. And then right in the, in the nick of time, you see this uh, being who looks like the devil say, Ah, humans! Lovely, primitive humans! And Lucian restores power to the Enterprise. And Spock, but not, never one to mince words, says, It is not logical. This to me, it's funny. It's not Deus Es Machina because it's not the God in the machine. It's the devil in the machine. He just comes in and rescues them. And there's a lot in this episode where it feels a little unearned to me. And 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 th this one's fine because it's like, oh, who's this mysterious guy? And I, I do like, by the way, Lucian's response to Spock, which is... Logic? Who's logic, my elfin friend? Yeah, yeah. Welcome! I knew eventually humans would come searching for me. And this particular shot, which they use this drawing multiple times, is one of the ones that's really bad. Um, his, his arms, like, oh, he's holding his arms out wide, and the, they, they seem the wrong length, and the, yeah, it's just, it's just really weak animation. Well, but, you, uh, know, you know, this at this moment, so when Lucien appears on the bridge of the Enterprise... It occurred to me while I was doing the rewatch that during this exchange between Lucian and Kirk and Spock and McCoy, you hear the bridge sounds of the Enterprise, those familiar bridge sounds. Look around you, Spock. Everything is working. And there's a stranger on the Enterprise. And I just felt like, well, animation or not, this feels like Star Trek to me. Yeah, this is this is this is where your grading on a scale doesn't work for me because I'm like, you mean the, the things that making the show good is that they use the same uh, background audio track that they use for everything else? Like that to me is a pretty low standard for <laughs> making this a good show. It, it's an aspect of the show that I that I really like, but there you, are it makes you feel, yeah. plot points that I that make me really like the episode. Well, and I understand, and maybe this is the difference because, you know, we said this many times on the cinephiles and I, we've, I think we've said it on this show too, Scott is I don't want to convince you that this, that you're wrong. That's stealing some, you got enjoyment out of the, a show that I didn't particularly get enjoyment out of you won. So I, I don't want to, <laughs> I, I, the last thing I would want to do is or in anyone who's listening, you know, there are people who love a bunch of episodes of the original series that you and I don't like, and I would never try to tell them they're wrong. You know, sure. like that's, gr it's great that you liked it. And, and what's interesting too, I think, and it's part of, I think some of the difference of how you feel about Star Trek than I do. Star Trek is like a comfy home for you, which it is for me too. But part of the comfy home is like when you come home, and your house smells a certain way, it sounds a certain way, you turn on Star Trek and just hearing the bridge sounds gives you comfort, I think. Let, let me know? tell you something. Well, here's how right on you are, Steve. Whenever I travel, especially if I travel for an extended period of time, I bring my iPad with me and I have about 35 episodes of the original series downloaded on my iPad 
So, you know, I don't need the Wi-Fi wherever I am. I could just watch them on the plane wherever. And I remember uh, in 2013, just as an example, I was in London for the junket and the premiere for Star Trek Into Darkness. Hmm. And, you know, I was staying, they put us up at a nice hotel and, and I was happy to be in London because, uh, you know, being a Beatles fan, I could go to Abbey Road, which is off the St. John's Wood, uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, stop on the Jubilee line. But, you know, while we get ready in the morning, I would put on Star Trek because I was far from home and having Star Trek on made me feel like I was at home. Right. And, you know, during the worst part of the pandemic, when things were were just so bleak, it was just one bad news after another, uh, not just with the pandemic, actually, I would put on Star Trek and it was it was comfort food for me. Like I if I just want to chill out or zone out, I put on the original series and whether or not I watch it, you know, with all my attention or it's just on in the background it gives me a tremendous sense of comfort. Well, and so just having that that sound design is making you feel good. Whereas for me, it's like, that's just the bare minimum. It's like, I mean, having made films, it's like, well, yeah, of course I put in the background that I put in every other time I have a scene on the bridge. So that, that well, that's just expected. That should just be there. But it doesn't give me comfort to hear it. Call me Lucien. Call me friend. Never could I abandon those who come to rollick with me. But not up here. No, no. Let us leave this vessel and go where true delights lie. And Kirk, McCoy, and Spock disappear for the Enterprise. And there's all sorts of swirling, crazy colors. And then we see Bones, and Kirk asks, Bones, are you all right? Nothing wrong, Jim, but a face full of dust. But if I had a medical tricorder... Jim, look at yourself. And we cut to Kirk, who is all twisted into craziness. He's not solid. Lucian, do something. Very well, Captain. I'd forgotten how much bodily integrity means to you humans. (laughs) And there is a light flash and a fade out. And I literally was like, wait, was that the act break? That was, you know what? I felt the same way. It was a very awkward act break because there's no, there's no dramatic moment that usually signals the end of the act break. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess this is an act break. Well, it's like if you had cut before Lucian's line, when we just look at Kirk and he's all messed up and we go, dun, 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 and then we have an act break, that's a, a cliffhanger. That would have worked. do it in the middle of a moment is really weird. Um, <laughs> and then we come back and he's repaired Kirk and he says, This isn't easy, you know, holding us together like this. It's not even natural. And this is this thing where it's like, okay, and this is what I mean by when you say there are a lot of ideas. Well, this is an idea, but then they never do anything with it. Like, we never hear of this again. It's not important. The fact that somehow Lucian is keeping all of their shapes together isn't a thing that has anything to do with anything, you know? And it's just a weird act break. I know I, it's definitely a weird act break. It's definitely a weird act break, but you know, they are, they're definitely it, all bets are off. All the normal rules don't apply. And, uh, just Lucien's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You guys like to like to be solid. So, uh, as a, a reminder that they are, they are in, in a, a completely alien world. Look, Lucien or whatever you want to call yourself. I want to know why you brought us here. 
And then like a wind hits and Kirk does a backflip and then Kirk is lying down. And then what looks like a kid version of Lucian is standing next to him with a yellow thing. And we hear Lucian say, children will play. What just happened? I, I don't know. That was a little weird. Uh, this, look, the, not all this episode works. I'll give you that. Uh, I never I, I did not get what what was going on there. I, I was like, at first I was like, did Lucian become a kid? And then, but he says children will play. And so I'm, ass- I'm like, then I was going, well, is this Lucian's kid? Like, who is this kid? Yeah. And we never yeah. see him again. And it's just like, okay. And we talk about the fact that this is Meg, uh, Megas two. And by the way, I always just assumed because I never read it or I never thought about it, that Megas two was the planet was. It was the system Megas, and this was the second planet because oh, Megas two, number two, right, right, because oh. that's how all Star Trek planets are. And so when I actually w- looked at this this time, I was like, oh no, no, that's the name of the planet is Megas two, right? Because it's the only planet in yeah. this in this area. Our universe operates by what you superstitiously call magic. And he creates an apple. Which is interesting. It is interesting that it is the devil, because we'll later find out that this might be Lucifer, who is giving the apple of knowledge to McCoy. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like they do anything particular with it. Yeah, it's very subtle, yeah. Yeah. And then we see as an example, we he says we everyone has magic, and we see this beautiful woman talking to someone at a tent, and we hear But all our women are as young and beautiful as they want to be so as to ensnare the man of her dreams she needs an edge and i think kirk says a love filter which is weird it's like it's, it looks like she's getting a love potion is that what's going on here i think so but i just found i forgot about this line and it's just one of two moments where i felt this show was the dated and you know today we would look at this and, and it would be sexist it's t- totally it totally is it's interesting, too, because Lucian, I guess, has created a a reference that we can understand in terms of Earth. And so he's making it look like medieval Earth with or Renaissance Earth with wizards yeah. and, you know, things like that. But we don't actually know what this actually looks like because who knows what this really is? Yeah, I you know? mean, that's that that's the thing is. Like, I feel like a lot a lot of what Kirk, Spock and McCoy see is to their benefit. Do you need a room, a stable, a castle? Stop in at your friendly sorcerer contractor. Let him do the work. So we're kind of saying that there's like this magic economy, I guess, but it doesn't, it's just, it's just all odd to me it, and I it, don't right. understand I, it. You if, know? This, if this is what you're referring to when you talk about how there's a lot of ideas mm-hmm. that are not seen through, the, on that on that part, I, I, I agree. It's like, they're just kind of throwing stuff out there at this point and not really with, with no purpose. Well, and, and here's the thing. This is it, maybe this is all taking it too far, but there's the, you know, there's the Arthur C. Clarke quote, which is that something like any sufficiently advanced piece of science would be indistinguishable from magic. Right. Um, that's a classic sci-fi quote. And the thing that I always think is that magic is not magic to a magician. Magic to a magician is science. Cause Merlin knows how the stuff he does works. You know what I mean? Oh, was, sure. Is that, and so, and and again, I'm putting too much pressure on this animated episode uh, and it's not fair what I'm saying, but in the really good fantasy stories, there is a sense of 
it's not just that we do anything. It, there's a sense of how it works, what it's, what is magic in this world. And this is just like, anything is possible. Of course, our Federation scientists were more correct than they realized. In order to function, the galactic creation point must extend through space, time, into another dimension where the logic of things is totally different. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Lucian, you keep calling us friends, implying that you know us. How? Here comes uh, the first of two bits of exposition in this episode. Yes. And, you, and so he's going to explain. He rubs his hand in the water, and we see these hooded people, which I, it took me a long time to figure out he was calling them Megans. Because mm -hmm. they're from Megas, Megas too. But its people are calm, peaceful, contemplative. Each a specialist in his own kind of magic. So the idea here is that each person can only do one specific area of magic and there is no overlapping. Is that correct? That's correct. I don't think that makes sense or follows through correctly. Uh, I agree. And what he says in this long exposition dump is that eventually they went exploring and they found old earth and then and again this is just such a weird i think they spent i think they spent their whole you know excess budget on all the special effects of entering the special uh the center of the galaxy with all the fireworks and all the colors and all the swirling stuff because now when he's talking about what happened on earth all we have is a completely still shot of earth there's right. no you should be going and seeing some of the things he's talking about Right. You know, right. Th th this is just such a boring shot. But eventually, we had to leave. I didn't want to, my friends. Oh, how I fought. I was the generalist amid all the specialists. I'm like, okay, Lucian is the one person that's not a specialist, but what does him being a generalist have to do with him fighting to leave the planet, not leave the planet? Right. I, I, I don't understand what that means. The troublemaker, they said. But I'd always loved the people of Earth. So we are going to hear at the end of this episode that this is actually Lucifer. Is is that true? Let me ask that question of you. Uh, see, I knew you were going to ask that question. Is this Lucifer? Yes. Because we are told it's Lucifer by the prosecutor. We never hear Lucian say, I am Lucifer. By the end of this episode, it's still ambiguous. It's assumed maybe he was, but we never know for sure. So I don't think he is the devil. I just think he looks like the devil. Well, I don't personally, I don't know what the devil looks like. <laughs> well, <laughs> so <good> point. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, you know, it's like when they find the picture in uh, Omega Glory of what the devil looks like, and it looks, it looks like, like Spock. Spock. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like I always, and I, I don't mean to offend any religious people out there, and I apologize if the, if this is offensive, but when someone, you hear things of like, oh, I, I saw the face of the Virgin Mary in so-and-so, it's like, well, how do you know that's not the face of the Virgin Mary's sister? Like, like, we don't know exactly what these people look like. I don't know what the devil looks like. This guy is one image of what the devil could look like. But but the other, my bigger question is actually, what was Lucian doing on the planet, on Earth, that he didn't want to leave? And why did they make him leave? And was he doing good things or was he doing bad things? Because this guy, Lucian, who I'm meeting, is a great guy. 
Yeah. He seems awesome. And so what, what is the point of saying that this was Lucifer? And also the other thing is like, well, are you saying, cause there's one explanation that Apollo comes to earth, but he's really, he's, he's really an alien. He's a very, very powerful alien who right. we see as a God. Right. Well, is this person Lucifer in the sense that he is who we named Lucifer because of the things that he did, or is he, or is there actually a God and he was kicked out of heaven and the stories, the biblical stories of Lucifer are referring to this guy? See, you're asking yourself really good questions. You're asking me really good questions. And there are questions that I, my assumption is that this is not Lucifer because like you said, he's seems like a great guy. Uh, now, if you would have told me that when when Lucian went to Earth and it was there were only, you know, two people there, Adam and Eve, then I would have been like, oh yeah, that's he's definitely Lucifer, he's the devil. Um, but we don't know when he was on Earth. He just oh. said millennia ago. Well, we do know they were at the some of them at least were at the Salem witch tr- trials. So right. 1600s he was around. We know we know that, I think. Well, he said, actually, wait, didn't he say millennia ago in our search for companionship, we found Earth? Right. So millennia ago, would maybe that would put this in the time of Adam and Eve. Well, uh, yes, sure. It, it, it would if we believe the biblical timeline. Um, also, that's not, that is not Lucifer in the story of Adam and Eve. That is the serpent, but it's oh, not right. Lucifer. Okay. Lucifer is a different it. thing. I mean, and not to, we don't need to go into like biblical, into a Bible study class, because I don't think either you or I would do that well at it. But, <laughs> but like the, I, the bigger thing to me is like this, this, I agree, this idea, oh my God, this could be Lucifer is an interesting idea. It would have been an interesting idea to introduce an in act one, not an interesting idea to throw in at the end, which is where we're going to get it, where we go like, okay, what does that mean? You know, you must go. What is it? What's wrong? You must return to your vessel. Quickly, do not give your presence away. If they were in such danger, why did he bring them down to the planet in the first place? Good question. Why did he bring them down? Maybe, well, I mean, he brought them down and then there was danger coming and he was like, tried to get them out. I don't know. Well, because he's clearly showing them people on the planet because we're watching the woman get the love potion and we're watching the wizard. And so they're right in front of them. So who is he hiding? It, yeah, this is where I just go. I don't understand what the hell's going on in this episode. All right. But yeah, we, I get it. I'm, I'm sorry, Scott. I, I really, it's not my intention to just rip apart the episode that you like. <laughs> we're back on the bridge. Everyone seems fine. Can't they detect the ship up here? No, unless they have scanners. And I'm like, Scotty, you don't know anything about this universe you're in. <laughs> you don't know what these people, I mean, a dude looking like the devil just turned everything on your ship back on. You don't know anything about what these people can do. And then we cut to Spock drawing like a pentagram. And he says, I believe this is how the ancients used to draw their mystic symbols, Captain. Spock, do you honestly believe that as long as we're in this universe, we can work magic too? And he thinks that they can. And he stands onto the pentagram and says, I will attempt to move a Vulcan chess piece magically. How do you feel about this? Well, okay. So, so drawing the pentagram on the Enterprise, I always thought of the pentagram as a symbol of the devil. Right. Isn't that what that is? 
I think it is perceived as that way. Yes. So, I don't know the history of, of, you know, witchcraft and black magic and where the pentagram came from, but yes, I would associate it with the devil. Too. So, so you have this character, Lucian, Lucifer, it's very close in the name. He looks mm-hmm. like what we perceive, what we perceive, most people perceive what the devil would look like. I mean, you're right. We don't know uh, what the devil looks like. Uh, and now Spock is drawing a pentagram, a symbol of magic or the occult on the Enterprise. Uh, I think Spock is just logically deducing that in this other dimension, we can do what everyone else is doing. We have access to the magic, kind of like when they were eating the uh, native fruits and you know food on the uh, Plutonius in Plato's yeah. stepchildren, and then they suddenly got the powers. Well, they didn't suddenly get the powers. McCoy gave them a shot that gave that because they figured out exactly what thing in the food was the powers was coming food. from. Right, right. Like um, he sped it up. Right. Yeah. So here, like th- th- this, just doesn't work for me at all. I just like Spock trying. T- it's like we've just said that all these people are specialists and they don't learn from each other because they don't communicate. So they can't do what the other people can do. And yet Spock, knowing nothing. Just goes, all I have to do is think a thing and I can make it happen. And he does. I believe I can. Again, this is DSS Machina stuff where, yeah, we just will think ourselves into having these powers. They don't deduce anything. They don't figure anything out. And I'm like, and again, it's like, well, why a pentagram? Why that mystical symbol? Why not? A, why not a Harry Potter wand? Why not? There's a million magical things in our history. Why not a big Gandalf staff? Well, you know, how, how ha- far back in history does the pentagram go? I have no idea. But, but no you idea. see, the pentagram, even though I don't know a lot about that, I, I associate the pentagram with with a, with a sim- one of the symbols of the devil. Right. But why would you be thinking of the devil? Spock is always like sort of the head of the game before he formulates his theory. I don't, I don't accept that as an answer because that is not in the episode. No one, no, at no point in the episode does Spock go, I think this Lucian guy might be connected to the devil, you know, (laughs) but it totally works. His hands start to glow. The chess piece moves. And then, uh, we have a log saying that, you know, that we can all use this power and we see Sulu create a woman. (laughs) All right. Wow. The, I forgot all about this moment. Sulu creates a woman and then Uhura's response, she goes, good luck. Like, what the heck is going on here? I, I don't know. What is she? She's saying good luck. I mean, does Sulu want to have a relationship or relations with this woman? Uh, and that's I, what Uhura's saying good luck. In a relationship. I think he just like, oh, we can create whatever we want. He creates a woman. You know, he's got a he's got an M.O. <laughs> Um, and is her good luck like I don't think you that this is going to work with the woman? I don't know. It, it, I don't understand. Like, yeah, good luck with that, Sulu. Or hey, good luck. I don't as know. A, as opposed to like, holy crap, Sulu just created a human. I mean, like, there's a weird. But then the woman explodes. I guess because Lucian showed up, and he is freaked out because what are you doing? Learning to protect ourselves, Lucian. Protect yourselves? Is that all human beings ever think about? I'll take care of you. That's what friends are for. All this mental energy you're using, it can be traced. You'll be found. 
And then we hear a voice say, Have been found! And all these weird, like, monsters start floating away, which maybe is the Megans the way they actually look, or I'm not really sure. So, the people of Earth would spread their evil to our home? We are ready for human perfidy this time. This time, it is the humans who shall suffer. The humans and you, Lucian, who shall pay. So the Enterprise is drawn in and splits in two and disappears. And then we see the Enterprise bridge crew on trial at the Salem Witch Trials. And the voice of the prosecutor, Asmodeus, is by Ed Bishop. Ed Bishop was seen in shows like The Saint. He played the Lunar Shuttle Captain in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh. Remember when Dr. Floyd's food started to to float away? Sure. And he was talking to the captain? That's Ed Bishop. He did the voice of Captain Blue and the narrator on Captain Scarlet and the Mysterions. And he played Commander Straker on the TV series UFO. Now, when... We hear Asmodeus say, have been found. That reminded me of the first time we hear the providers and gangsters of Triskelion. Hmm. Because up to that point, we were told about the providers, but we never met them. We never heard them. And when we hear them with that very first word, hold, with all that reverb, We are alerted to the power of the providers. And now we are witness to the power of Asmodeus when he suddenly gets rid of the Enterprise and puts the crew on trial in Salem, Massachusetts. And that brings us to the end of Act 2. Now that's an end to an act. Absolutely. It it, it absolutely is. I'm going to let go of the fact that I have no idea what happens to the other 400 plus people on the Enterprise when the Enterprise splits in two and disappears. I would assume they're okay in some way. But wait Um, a minute. I I thought that, I mean, you don't see it, but I just assumed that the entire crew was on trial. I think think that's the implication. Yeah. The implication is that the Enterprise goes away and they're all on trial. So we're back in Act 3. And it's interesting, by the way, that there's now a big pentagram on the ground at the trial. Right. We are gathered here today, good citizens, to see justice done. And he describes them as representatives of the vilest species in all the universe, treacherous humanity, and those who would aid them. Now, let me ask you a question. All right. Yes. So I feel like during Act One, you were kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm with it. I get it. I mean, you know, the same limitations that you've discussed before with like the animation not being great mm-hmm. at certain points. Uh, and just some binder nitpicks, whatever. But they, you were with it in Act 1. Then Act 2, mm-hmm. you're like, checked out. Mostly. So now, with this abrupt shift in the story, and it is abrupt. You're going from this mystical, magical world where anything goes to this fabricated version of the Salem Witch Trials in Massachusetts, where it turns into something that we'll, we've seen many times on Star Trek, uh, whether it's uh, Kirk on trial and the Squire of Gothos, which mm-hmm. this definitely reminded me of, to Q putting humanity on trial in Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of The Next Generation. So f- for me, okay, I went, this is really good. I really dig this. This is feels like 
a situation that is vintage to Star Trek, where humanity is being put on trial. And uh, in terms of uh, witchcraft, that is something that we've seen, or or in terms of the star date in this episode, we'll see Kirk accused of uh, when he goes back in time in Sarpedon's past in our yesterdays. So for, to, to me, I mean, I understand the, the reasons why you checked out in Act 2 and the the issues you have with it. But I feel like, you know, this, this act again, all just one 24 minute episode. There's a lot going on. Very ambitious to, to bring it to a moment where you put humanity on trial. I thought was pretty cool. So I think, I feel like I have uh, diagnosed part of, part of the way your love works. That's different from the way mine works, which is, it's like we were talking about with the bridge sound crew. You, you see an echo of great Star Trek and it's comforting. Like you feel good. I see a repeat of things I've seen before and I, and I am distrustful, you know, because for me, it's like, because there are other, there's, there's a lot of episodes where in one way or another, Kirk and the crew of the enterprise or later Star Trek are on trial. Another one is arena specter of the gun. Like these are all ones where there's more powerful species looking at them and judging them. And the thing is, those are great episodes for, and, and, and this isn't like, for instance, if you had, so if you go, I want to deal with the Salem witch trials and the devil, and I want to put Kirk and the crew of the enterprise on, on trial. I think it's a good idea. Well, use the devil as the devil, as someone who is tempting Kirk in some way, give Kirk a moat, like in arena, and in Devil in the Dark, and in Spectre of the Gun, there are all these reasons where Kirk has to do something bad, to kill. And he is, and it's him choosing not to do that that makes it a good episode, and then, and then wins the judgment. And here, we're going to get a lot of exposition, and at the end, Kirk is going to use a bunch of magic powers to defend a really good guy. I'm glad you brought those episodes up, especially Arena, because... What this episode has, and I'm jumping the gun here and cutting to the chase, when the prosecutor basically accepts that you guys are good, humanity is good, you're free to go, but yeah, we're going to banish Lucian to basically isolation for all eternity. Kirk could have been like, okay, later, but no. Absolutely. I think that moment totally works. Okay. I'm with you on that. You see, problems aside, and I understand the issues you have with it, and I think you're right. Uh, about the way we are seeing, especially this episode, where I'm leaning into the comfort zone of it all. Right. But in the end, I feel like the magics of Megas 2 really does stick the landing and feel, and it feels like Star Trek. I mean, granted, again, you're talking about an animated episode that uh, has half the running time and the animation has its limitations. But in the end, the writing is very strong and definitely not what was par for the course for a Saturday morning in 1973. I am sure that if I compared it to episodes of the super friends and stuff like that, I mean, those were all, I mean, there would be equal problems. Um, But I have to, you know, and this is, it's just the way your curve works. I, you know, it's funny when I started (laughs) grading on, uh, when I was teaching film school, and I would get this spreadsheet with, that was designed for grading. And one of the things you could adjust was the level of the curve. 
So you entered in all your grades mathematically, and then you could say, I want totally flat. So if you get an 85, that's a B. You know, if you get it this number, it's an A minus or whatever. Or you could increase or decrease the level of the curve. I, too, am grading on a curve for the animated series, but my curve is a lot less uh, strong than yours. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not a very forgiving curve. Um, so and then what we hear is because we because basically Kirk's like, well, what are we on trial for? And they go, well, didn't Lucian tell you? And they now get, we get the rest of the story. We go back to, again, it's just a shot of Earth where they describe, which I think makes sense of all of us magical people came and we were, you know, there to give wisdom and help. And eventually people started not trusting us. They called us devils, evil sorcerers, and that they were hunted and killed, which, again, would have been so great if we had had visuals of actually seeing this happen, where we saw you know, Joan of Arc being, you know, on the, you know, being burned at the stake, or we saw people being, you know, not showing the violence, of course, but like be people being hunted, a bunch of people with torches chasing people, or cutting to Salem, Massachusetts, which is where they end up. And he says, Those of us who survived came to the town of Salem in Massachusetts as settlers and tried to live like other men. And I'm like, wait, you chose the extremely religious Calvinist to go hang out with? That's where you thought you were going to hang? This seems, like a, this seems like a bad mistake. Maybe they thought that because they were going to like a religious haven that they would embrace all of the things that the Megans were bringing to Earth in Salem. Well, Maybe they just, they, they just assumed that because they were religious, they would react positively. Instead, they reacted negatively. Well- it's one of those weird things about the founding of America because we think of like the this is the place of religious freedom where everyone gets to practice whatever they want. That was not what those settlers <laughs> in Salem, Massachusetts were thinking. They were like, all the other religions are wimpier than us. They're not really following it closely. You have to absolutely follow it to the letter. That's what we're going to do. So they were in the wrong community. They, there were maybe some other places they might have had a better time. And what we hear is that they ended up using their powers and burned for it, burned as witches. The thing is, it was all women that were accused of being witches, not guys in the Salem witch trials. Right. So this doesn't really match it perfectly well. Also, and, weren't the Salem witch trials in like the 1650s? It's yeah, it's earlier. Oh uh, no, it's uh, we should we should look that up. Because but, Spock but, says it's approximately 1691 Salem, Massachusetts. I think he got the year wrong it's they're 1692 to 1693 oh there you go yeah so spock was pretty close we mass together outside the town and reach into our own universe tap enough of its power to return from your hellish earth to magus too was lucian one of the people in salem that's a great question um i don't know what do you think i don't know they, they don't really mention it and now, and what we hear is that they're afraid that since one ship, Earth ship could get here, other ships could get here. All right, let me ask you a question with this. Yeah. Citizens of Megas 2, I just feel like they're wary of outsiders. Should right. we not fear the cruelty of outsiders? Don't you think there's something relatable, especially from what we've seen in recent years here? Xenophobia, isolationism, living in fear. They're just like, I, I don't know. I, there was something about this part of the story. Totally. That I totally know, agree. Wait a minute. We've, we've experienced this recently with so much xenophobia. 
I totally agree, but it goes to, and it sort of was my objection to last week's show too, is like xenophobia is a great thing to make an episode about, but you can't make one twelfth of a 22 minute episode about xenophobia. That's not enough time to deal with xenophobia. And the thing too is like, again, you want things to match up in the right way. It's like their experiences on earth don't make sense for me for the way they're treating the crew of the enterprise. Because when they were on earth, they must have met good people too. I mean, right. they were there for thousands of years. Like, sure, everything went bad when people found out they had magic powers, but that didn't mean that they saw everything be bad all the time. So why are they having this totally adverse reaction? Like, if, for instance, if someone had come to their planet and done something terrible before, xenophobia would make more sense. It doesn't quite ring right for me. And part of it is like all the confusion with the devil and, you know, we met. There's just a lot of stuff going on. But well, the other question I have is that there is a sense that part of the banishing Lucian thing was a trick to see how Kirk would respond, right? Right. That's right. This is a test. Is this trial also the same kind of test? Or I do they? Yep. I so from the beginning, this the is test. Test. this is all part of the test. I think it's be- I think that's better. If so, was Lucian hiding the ship and them discovering it part of the test? That I don't know. I I think the show is better the more that it is a test. I think I think the less that it is a test, it makes less sense. Who will speak in defense of the Earth humans? I will, Asmodeus. I am not of Earth. Shouldn't Spock have asked Kirk first? Mm, yeah, should have. Sure, should have been like with all you know. If you'll if you'll permit me, yeah. Captain. Yes. Or, or or Kirk could have said, Spock, you should defend us. You're not of Earth, so you are not on tr- trial in the same way. I but mean, the way it happens is a little weird. What? Half of them is from Earth. He's half from Earth. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So uh, he calls Lucy into the stand. You alone of all those here do not seem to fear or hate humans. Why? They are like me, with questions to be answered, with minds that range outward, boundless. And and this is this thing he brings up is that all the other Megans are alone in their in their sphere of knowledge and they don't interact with each other, which seems like a really weird little bit of this culture. Humans are always together. They share. That is why I adopted your ship when I saw it arrive. And now we call Captain Kirk to the stand. And I do like this moment. This is where the episode does work for me. Tell the court, please, Captain Kirk. Would you say that since Salem, humans have changed? And Kirk says, and I think this is a good line. This is what tipped the scales for me in favor of the magics of Megas Two. I think we've been trying to spark. Humans have their faults, greed, envy, panicky fear. But in the centuries since the Salem Witch Trials, we have learned. We try to understand and respect all life forms. Key words, we try to understand. Now, to me, Steve, this is what Star Trek is all about, especially when it came to the original series and into the next generation. Uh, Star Trek has always been, and we talked about this in the earliest podcast episodes of Enterprise Incidents, maybe even in our mission statement, that Star Trek is about the striving for the perfection of humanity. It's not about the perfection of humanity, because even in the 23rd 
century for the original show and Discovery, uh, the 22nd century of Enterprise, 24th century for Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager, and now the 25th century for season three of Picard. We are still not perfect. We're far from it. But we're, we're a little further along than we were in the 20th and 21st centuries. We're never going to get there. It's about the striving for perfection. We try to understand. And that's been, been the key point of so many great moments is that we thought we knew what the hoarder was. We thought it was a monster killing our people. But then we tried to understand through communication and we realized that we were wrong. And yes, I'm going to bring up the same quality about metamorphosis and about arena uh, that that we were wrong, that, wait a minute, let's communicate here. So to me, despite the, the issues that you have with this, and I understand, and I, I, I actually agree with a lot of them, but see, to me, this moment here is when, yeah, I mean, it feels a little derivative of what we've seen elsewhere, but it really works and it really sticks the landing for Star Trek. It's a 100% Star Trek speech. It's a 100% Star Trek philosophy. And I don't disagree with anything you've said. I, I totally agree with it. But to me, it's like there are some of the great Star Trek sentiments ever expressed in Plato's Stepchildren. Plato's Absolutely. Stepchildren is a terrible episode of Star Trek. See, I, I agree it's not a good episode, but especially after our conversation with our guest, Dan Madsen, I mean, it was such a great conversation. Absolutely. And, and there are moments that I don't like in that episode at all. And there are moments that are really, really great. So the, uh, the end result to me for play to stepchildren was it's not as bad as I remembered or as bad as I thought. I actually had a change of heart after our deep dive conversation of that one. And, and certainly with this, I'm thinking about play to stepchildren a little in terms of the power that they, yeah. they wind up learning how to use. But then what, what Kirk says next about general order number one, the prime directive, no starship can interfere with the normal development of any alien life or society. Uh, I feel like this is Star Trek. I 100% agree uh, with that sentiment. I mean, to me, it's like if you look at an episode like Mirror Mirror, which I think is among the tightest episodes of Star Trek. Absolutely. Top to bottom, every single moment works. It gets, it's like a, it, I don't even think it's a 99%. I think it's like a hundred percent. I think sure. every single moment is working in that episode. If you look at Plato's stepchildren, I think out of the 48 or 50 minutes of Star Trek, there are four or five really good minutes in there, maybe six or seven. <laughs> and then there are good stretches of 15 or 20 minutes that are literal torture, you know, that are just, I mean, they are, they are torturers on the screen and torture is how I feel watching it. I, I understand the, 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 it's the, you know, as a piece of art, the, the four or five or six or seven great minutes don't do it. You know, they don't. And the same is true in this episode. Yes. Did they nail Star Trek philosophy? Totally, totally did. I also think they're about to violate what they just said, which we'll get to in just a moment, but we hear, here is your history. Here are your records. We see a bunch of tapes and punch cards fly by, which I think is just funny. Citizens, you have heard, you have read. How do you vote? And the camera pans along the crowd, and there is a, a music sting. Did they vote? What happened? What just happened there? Uh, uh, they, they did vote, and... Uh... They voted to let uh, the Enterprise crew go and pun us loose in. But it's not – It's I, I agree. Look, it's not It's not clear 
like, oh, we vote in favor of the Federation. You it's know. very, yeah, we don't actually see the vote. And then he says, According to your records, your entry here was an accident unlikely to be duplicated. I'm like, it wasn't an accident. They came here on purpose and they do know how to duplicate it. But Lucian must be punished for his betrayal of his people he shall be confined in limbo for all eternity. And this is where Kirk says, oh, wait, now wait a minute. And and this is such a great moment because it is so in character with Kirk. It is so in character with Star Trek. You know, when you look at pivotal moments in episodes like the Corbomite Maneuver, Charlie X, Bows of Terror Arena, where they're you know they're dealing clearly dealing with an antagonist but then they they empathize and show compassion for that antagonist but lucian's not an antagonist lucian has never been an antagonist lucian's been a great guy who's helped him out right all right i agree but he still could just be like hey sorry you know we're out of here but he doesn't I, I totally agree, and that is what is happening at this moment. I also find it weird that the final point that Kirk made in his speech was general order number one about non-interfering in other planets' cultures, and this now he's just about to interfere in this planet's culture because their legal system has made a decision, and he's going to try to stop them with force. You know, well, right? Yeah, he's going to try to use the mat. Well, I mean, you know, when in Rome, he's going to use try to use the magic. Uh, he uses the force, basically. But that is a violation of the prime directive that he was literally just using in his defense. Fair enough. And then there's this weird moment where they they basically go, you know, because they're trying to defend Lucian, and they say, "Well, would you defend him if you knew he had another name too?" And I'll tell you, my brain went to Dana Carvey on Saturday Night Live, and I heard. Satan? Because <laughs> they say that he's Lucifer. And to me, like, th th this is why, like, just throwing this to the last, like, two minutes of the episode is like, because Kurt, they don't even have much of a reaction because they don't, they go, oh, well, I guess that's just, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, hold on. This guy is the actual Lucifer? What does that mean? And what does that say about our history? And what, you know, I mean, this is a big deal that we don't really get into. Well, I, listen, I, I I agree with your earlier comment that if uh, if I was taking a Bible studies class, I would not do very well in it. <laughs> but Lucifer was created by God, and he was created as being good. But yeah. God trusted Lucifer enough to give him a position of power among the heavenly angels. So Lucifer, Lucifer became so consumed with pride that he became corrupt and violent, no longer willing to serve under God. As punishment for his disobedience, God cast Lucifer out of heaven by hurling him and his army of fallen angels to earth and condemning them ultimately to hell. So if this is actually Lucifer, the version of this character that we've seen up to this point doesn't seem like someone who has... Uh, violated power or or taken advantage of his power or used his power uh for for bad or shown shown pride i mean it's this that's why this doesn't feel like he's actually lucifer to me well it it a i agree with that and it's also why i go like well what was the point of this show introducing this idea that they didn't really i don't understand what it's for you know it's an odd one well you know um, what, what, I, what i remember about when i saw it back in the day was, oh, this guy looks like the devil. Lucian 
that his name is similar to Lucifer. Maybe it is the devil, but ultimately talking to you now in 2023, I don't think he's the devil. I wish that they had dealt, I mean, it's the, it really relates to uh, who mourns for Adonai's of like, go. that's where we're really de- dealing with, well, who was Apollo in the context that we're seeing in this episode of Star Trek? You know, what is his character? What does he want? Why was he on Earth? What did he like about Earth? And all that stuff makes sense within the context of that episode. I don't think that's a great episode, but I think it's a good episode. And this one, it's like it, it, Lucifer just gets thrown out at the last minute. And it's like, uh, what? You know, and we don't, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, It make, to me, it makes sense neither as a lie nor as the truth at, at this moment. But they tell Kirk, you don't have the power to fight us. Captain. Use the magic you know. Believe. Believe. Use the force, Luke. <laughs> totally. And now we have, I mean, it's a cool magic battle with Kirk firing lightning, and then he's surrounded by fire, which he puts out with water, and then there's brambles and wind. Cannot beat an entire planet, Captain Kirk. There is no way you can win. I have to. Or you'll become as bad as the Earthmen you fear. I love that moment, Scott. Yeah. Uh, that is a great that he is, in fact, protecting them from becoming what it is that they des- despise by fighting them. Great. I like it. And then Asmodeus, which, by the way, Asmodeus is a demon. That's also a demon from some weird mythology. Wow. He does something and the Enterprise is restored and I think things are all good. You were prepared to die for Lucian, a being who is alien to you? As I was sure you would, friend Kirk. I told them their fears were groundless. And that's when we hear that this was a test. He says, oh, actually, oh, maybe we have an answer here. Because what he actually says is, This last was a test of your intentions, Captain. So it wasn't a test from the beginning. And Lucian makes some drinks appear, and they all have a toast. You think Lucian really was the demon some men call Lucifer? Does it really matter, Bones? And I'm like, Yes, it does. <laughs> it does kind of matter. Yeah, that seems like a big deal. <laughs> um, it would have been better if Kirk said, "Well, if he was a devil, he would have, you know, been more malicious, and you know, something more obvious uh, would have alerted us to the fact that, yeah, he is the devil." But uh, all right, I mean, I, I, I admire the intent of what Kirk is saying. It just might, Captain. If he was, this would be the second time Lucifer was cast out, and thanks to you. The first time, he was saved. See, I like the ambiguous ending. I like that it's ambiguous. I don't think it's the devil, but you know we don't know for sure. But regardless of whether he actually was the devil or not, even though NBC approved the story about the Enterprise meeting the devil, viewers actually phoned NBC to express their disapproval mm. with this episode being too heavy for Saturday mornings. I get that. Um, I don't have a lot of final thoughts to give, but I think that I, one of the biggest, I thought my biggest objections to the animated series was going to be the cheap animation, the repetition of images, and that damn music that plays over and over and over again. And those still do rub me the wrong way. But in the last two episodes, it's really, it's too many notes. It's like, oh, a story about meeting the devil? Great story. A story about learning magic powers? Sure. A story about uh xenophobia love it all great episodes of star trek 
but all of them together in an episode half the length of an original series episode, you just can't service all those ideas and make them really work. And so this to me is just a muddle for me. I, I understand that. I agree with you. Uh, there is a lot going on in 24 minutes. In this case, I feel like it was in terms of trying to pack so much into 24 minutes, it was probably the most ambitious the animated series has gotten up to this point. Of course, we still have uh, a whole lot to go. But for the most part, I do think it works. I, I admire the ambition of it. And I like that ultimately the characters are acting and acting like and saying things that we would want and expect them to hear because of our love for the original show. I like, you know, the whole idea of humanity being put on trial is something that would become basically the launching pad for a whole other Star Trek series uh, in terms of, uh, in my opinion, the, the best Star Trek series after the original, which is The Next Generation. So Larry Brody said uh, in later years when he rewatched the episode, he said, Dorothy Fontana told me that Gene Rodberry had truly loved my script. It was his favorite, she said. He thinks you're brilliant. Filled with pride, that Saturday morning, I sat down to watch the show. The characters were right there, just as I, as I imagined them. So were the events, but not one word of dialogue was mine because he was so rewritten by Roddenberry. Wow. Yeah. Who called him a genius? Uh, Roddenberry called him a genius. And then rewrite his, every word in his script. And he rewrote the dialogue. Like all the ideas were there. The story was there. The dialogue, like maybe, maybe Roddenberry just felt like it just needed to sound more like Star Trek. Maybe that's why what works in this episode actually does work because of Roddenberry's rewrite. Or it could be what doesn't work in this episode actually doesn't work because of Roddenberry's rewrite. We can't we'll know. never know. <laughs> so listen, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by how well this episode actually does hold up. Even after hearing your criticism of this episode, most of which I agree with, I feel like more, more of the magics of Make Us Two works than doesn't. And overall, I think it's a really good episode. And in terms of what I love about Star Trek, it's right here. It's right here in this episode that we are striving to be better, trying to understand. I think that is so important to the ideals of Star Trek. So that is what we think of the Magics of Vegas 2. And we would love to hear what you think. Are you more Team Scott or are you more Team Steve? Do you think this really was the devil that we met? Can we develop some magical powers by just traveling to the center of the galaxy? These are questions we would like to know the answer to. And the best place to give us those answers is on our Facebook page. You can just do a search for Enterprise Incidents or on Twitter, it's Enter Incidents. On Instagram, it's Enterprise Incidents. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, please do so maybe on Apple Podcasts where we'd love to get your reviews. You could do it on YouTube. You could do it on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Overcast. Definitely subscribe. Definitely leave your reviews. If you want to support the show, you could do it through Anchor. You just go to the show notes, click right there. Easy to support us for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as $9.99 a month. We definitely could use the support. And if you want to reach me, it's SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And I was thinking maybe we covered some magical movies on the cinephiles. And some of them are Excalibur, Beauty and the Beast, the Princess Bride, and I think the greatest sci-fi fantasy dealing with magic of all time, the original Star Wars trilogy. Scott, how would people find you? Well, I'm curious. You're, we're talking about an episode in which may this character may or may not be the devil. 
the mm-hmm. question I have for you is, did you cover The Exorcist on The Cinephile? Oh, you are absolutely right. I should have had that on the list. We did do The Exorcist on The Cinephiles. Yes. Well, that is an episode I got to listen to because I love that movie. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Manson. Like Steve said, please leave a review for us on our our Apple Podcasts page for Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. We love hearing what you think of Enterprise Incidents, so please leave us a review. Make sure you follow us on our Facebook page, which is Enterprise Incidents. We really encourage the engagement, and we do engage and respond to your comments on our Facebook page, so please do head over to Facebook and follow us on Facebook, and make sure you share Enterprise Incidents on your social media platforms so more people can discover Enterprise Incidents. And of course, like Steve mentioned, any donation you can make through Anchor FM would be most appreciated. So next time on Enterprise Incidents, it is another sequel episode. We are returning to the planet of the Shore Leave episode in Once Upon a Planet. That's going to be a fun one. That is next on Enterprise Incidents. Please join us. And until then, keep going boldly. Boldly.